what is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Well, uh, this past week, many people around the country held a solemn ceremony of remembrance for the over 400,000 people who have died from this pandemic. We have now surpassed the total number of soldiers from the U.S. who died during World War II. Unbelievable, isn't it? Millions have lost their jobs. Trillions of dollars were lost in the economy. This kind of suffering and unfairness of life can lead us to question God's goodness. Last week, unanswered prayer led us to see that God is at work in a different way from us, the way we might be at work, from our own will. But that leaves us with a question. Does God want the bad things in our life to happen? Is that God's will? Does God want this pandemic? Does he want people to be sick or die or suffer terribly? People are starving. Uh, People are dying from ruthless dictators and acts of terrorism. When we pray for God to intervene, does God really not want to do anything about that? Is God allowing evil to happen? And if he is, doesn't that make God evil too? We call this problem the problem of evil in this world, theodicy. And again, this can be one of those key reasons we become indifferent toward God. We are stuck with a problem, why bad things happen to good people, and we think Maybe God doesn't exist, or God won't help me, so we turn our backs on our faith. I'm here to tell you today that there is a God, and he loves you, and that God is not indifferent toward you. And I invite you not toward indifference, but instead toward a very different way of thinking about God and the world. So let's jump in. Our scripture for today comes from the book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul. It's a book about salvation and the grace of God. Here we are going to hear about suffering, the will of God, and God's ultimate purpose for those he loves. Let's hear a recording from Paul, uh, not the Apostle. This is a member of our church. Romans 8, 18 through 30. Hear now the word of the Lord. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we, ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. 
Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And from Jeremiah 29, 11, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me in prayer. Lord, may we be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Give us wisdom as we discern your purpose, despite the evil that is in this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. These topics we are looking at regarding indifference are heavy ones, so let me start out with something a little lighter. As we've shared before, as I've shared before, I grew up in Buffalo, and I am inevitably stuck for a lifetime cheering for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, when I was a, a boy, the team was great. Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith. I could go on listing more people in the Football Hall of Fame from that era, but I'll spare you. Uh, the team went to four Super Bowls straight and epically, against all the odds, lost all four of those Super Bowls. Uh, if you want to get somebody from Buffalo mad real quick, just shout at them, wide right, and you'll be sure to have a fight on your hands. Uh, I say all this to let you know my state of mind when, for the next 25 years, my team didn't even make it to the playoffs. It was the longest drought in football. But then my team got good. They play today in the championship game to possibly go to the Super Bowl in two weeks. Yes, I know you are all as excited as I am by this, uh, but there is one person who really is excited, the most supportive and genuine person I've ever met. My wife, Emily, knows my pain, and even though she literally does not care a lick about football, knows how anxious I am because of this game. 
Fun fact, the team the Bills played today had the possibility of having to use their backup quarterback. My mother-in-law, who is amazing because she actually does care about football, found out that the backup for that team grew up near Emily's hometown. Emily got a text message from her mom that said, Chad Henne, uh, playing QB, is from Wyomissing. His birthday is July 2nd, 1985. Uh, You wouldn't know this, but Emily's birthday is also July 2nd, 1985. And Emily texted her mom back, Well, look at that. I hope he breaks his arm this week. Now that is a spouse that supports her husband. And as funny as that whole scenario is to me, what's surprising is how clearly it illustrates the problems we face. Now, I know Emily doesn't actually want this person to break his arm, but something bad happening to him means something good happens for me. Whose side do you think God takes in a situation like that? Is God for me because I'm a pastor and I do my best to lead an honorable life? Does God support Chad or the starting QB, Patrick Mahomes, because there are so many Kansas City Chiefs fans in this church, which I still don't understand? Who does God pick? Who does God give good things to while others receive the bad? The problem with all this may be that we suppose God picks winners and losers. We assume God is for one group and against another. And if we're being honest, we always assume God is for us and against the other guy. Are you starting to see the problem here? If I'm the good guy, then nothing bad is ever allowed to happen to me. If something bad does happen, then it's all God's fault because he picked against me. Clearly, that can't be how the world actually works. There must be something else going on. And if we look at the biblical stories closely enough, we don't see a bunch of stories about people who never had anything bad happen to them. If that were true, the Bible would be an incredibly boring book. Instead, it's filled with these amazing and sometimes truly terrible events. The world is flooded And it looks like all of humanity will be wiped out. David is anointed king but must wait 15 years and be hounded and nearly killed by the current king Saul before David takes his rightful place. The prophets are regularly reminding Israel how far away from God they are. But instead of changing, Israel often turns on them and tries to kill the prophets for bringing God's word. In Jesus we see a life of love and grace repaid with crucifixion. Does Jesus cry out, God, why did you betray me? Actually, he sort of does say that. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's where the Apostle Paul comes in. He is working out this combination of suffering and salvation. So in Romans 8, a different part of it tells us, God did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us. And because of that, he says, will he not also give us everything else? God wants good things for us. God wants us to experience the love of Christ, and yet there is hardship and persecution and famine and death. Why? The Bible is saying quite 
straightforwardly that following Jesus, being a Christian, does not mean a life of blessing and comfortable living. It shows us what faith looks like in the middle of all these terrible things happening to those who follow Jesus. See, getting good things is not the highest good in a biblical worldview. Faithfulness to God is. But plenty aren't at that point in their spiritual journey. Maybe you don't necessarily believe in God or trust God, so why should you be faithful to him? You're probably thinking, how can God let all these bad things happen? Either he is evil letting these bad things happen, or he is powerless to stop them. Either way, what good is God? That is a really good question. And I would actually affirm part of that thinking. It doesn't make any sense that God would will bad things to happen. I remember when I was just hitting my teenage years, the church I grew up in had a basketball program, and I joined a team. About halfway through the season, I injured my ankle and had to get a cast and go on crutches. People from the church told me that God must have had a plan for me. I was on crutches to be a blessing in someone's life. And though I agree that I'm a blessing in many people's lives, I don't think God was trying to hurt me to do some other good thing somewhere else. I actually think my suffering, as minor as it was, happened for entirely different reasons. So let's, let's look at some of them. One is that we are free. God didn't make us robots. God didn't create a set course that was impossible to deviate from. Instead, we can go where we want, live where we want, meet who we want, and for the most part, do what we want. This is an intrinsic part of what it means to be free. And when you are free to go and do as you please, you will inevitably make a choice that leads to suffering. I think of the time I decided to go on an all-day hike by myself up in Harriman State Park. Emily drove me to the park entrance and dropped me off. And it wasn't more than 15 minutes before I realized I left my water bottle in the car. But it was too late. Emily was gone and I had a day of hiking without any water. It wasn't too hot though and I'm in good health so it was fine. Was I thirsty? Yeah, sure. But the suffering I experienced was 100% my own fault. I had no one to blame but myself. The trouble for many of us is when the consequences of our decisions are further removed. What about diseases? Most diseases come from either our environment or our genetics. We have plenty of control over what we are exposed to. And genetics, well, we can just blame our parents for that, right? God lets us choose partners, and those partners give us blue eyes or brown, diabetes or cancer. Don't blame God for that. That suffering comes straight from the choices of humans. I'd even put natural disasters in this category, an earthquake, a flood, even a pandemic. These are not foisted on us by God. God didn't make you move to a fault line or to a flood zone. The pandemic came because of a bat that bit a person or however it started. And these were a series of human choices that led to the results we see. I don't mean to be flippant here or heartless, but it's too easy to blame God for things that we ourselves do. 
Let's not scapegoat God because we don't want to accept the consequences of human freedom. I, for one, am grateful for the freedom we have, even if it leads to problems, and that leads to our second reason for suffering. Number two is that we are prone to sin. My mom would call it sin nature, and I know the term well because every time I would say no to my mom, she would tell me that that was my sin nature. Honor your mother and father, she'd say, and she's right. We are quick to turn on one another. When God says, love your neighbor, love your enemy, what do we do? We're rude. We tell others what a jerk they are. Some will even fight back. I remember my worldview being shattered years ago when I saw the amount of food produced globally versus all the people that were starving in the world. There was plenty of food being produced. Why were these people still starving? And the answer was dictatorships made it that way. These evil leaders would get food aid from around the world and then only give it to members of their own political party. If you were against the leadership of a brutal dictator, you were forced to starve. That's hating your enemy, not loving them. That kind of suffering is the result of sin. It is people who are free and use their freedom to hurt others. When you are hurt through a relationship, a parent, a brother, or a sister, a spouse, a child, a friend, a neighbor, or a stranger. These are on us, not God. I want to invite you to a very different way of thinking about God's role in how it is that God is at work in this world. Instead of thinking about God as a, a puppet master controlling our actions, demanding obedience, and rewarding only his followers, as though God were simply the strongest and most powerful dictator, what if God is regularly inviting us and offering life? Not life on our terms, but life that makes life worth living. Life that changes how we think about the situation we are in. What if you're suffering, instead of conceding defeat with God wanted it that way, could actually deepen your love and care for others? What if our wounds made us more empathic, aware of the hurt others are going through? What if our pain is a sign of labor, as the Apostle Paul says, that a birth is about to occur that transforms us and somehow makes us a little more like God, a little closer to Christ. We might never choose it. We might never wish it for ourselves or for another, but we might also think that it's worth it. Suffering can move us to life in its fullness, to the life that Jesus promises. As we close, I want to pause for a moment here and share the story of Charlotte. She's the person in charge of our staffing committee here at the church, and she has a story to tell about her daughter when she was just a baby. Let's give a listen now. I just want to ask a, a few questions about uh, the struggles that you've gone. So, so the first question here is, what happened to your daughter? Tell us that story. 
Uh, when my daughter was just over 18 months old, uh, she became severely ill one night, went into the hospital, uh, was breathing, and we were told she wouldn't make it through the night. So that was a moment of, of true crisis. Uh, we sat in the waiting room and prayed. And then eventually they came back and said, oh, you're still here. She's breathing much easier now and you can go home, mm. which we did. But that was the beginning of like a four-year-old battle to keep her alive. Well, so, in, I, I imagine those three or four years of struggle and heartache and, and hospital visits was very traumatic for you. So tell me, did it make you question God or question your faith? I don't, I don't think that I ever felt God had left me. I did question why it was going on. Well, let me ask then, how do you resolve uh, the suffering that you've gone through, that your daughter went through, and the goodness of God? What, what do you do with that? How do you, how do you make sense of the world in a way that says, God loves me and yet there's still these bad things that happen well it has to do with my freedom that god also gives me mm -hmm. i have uh the freedom to wrestle and deal with these problems to a degree on my own but not totally on my own. but i am free to question mm -hmm. and i think that's important i think if you never question what you believe it will grow mm -hmm. okay that uh, you have to you have to accept the challenge to a degree. Um, mm. It tried us, both of us. My husband was an enormous support through all of this. Um, I think you learn that uh, the problems of this world you can't blame God for. They're human mm. problems. Mm. Mm -hmm. And we are given the freedom and the blessing of that freedom to wrestle and grow mm -hmm. on our own or with his help. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, well, thank you, Charlotte. I really appreciate your time and your willingness to share that story with me and with the congregation at Grace. So we wish the, the best for you and, and thank you for sharing. You're welcome. May the suffering you experience and the pain you witness move you to respond like Charlotte. May it fill you with resolve to love like Jesus loves and bless you like God blesses. May it fill you with hope that God is with you, come what may, and he will never forsake you whatever you are going through. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love and how even in the midst of the struggle, Lord, you're calling us to something grand. You're calling us to grow, to thrive. You're calling us to life in its fullness. And so, Lord, for those who might be suffering today, those, those who are struggling, we pray for your grace. You are good, God. You love us. You want the best for us. So help us, Lord, to accept that reality, to pursue you, and to grow to be people full of love like you. Amen.